Carrie Finlinson and Emily Bauman are teachers, friends, and co-founders of Write On Workshops. They have a subscription writer's box for ages 7 through 12, and for the past 15 summers, they have run a writing camp for children in Salt Lake City, Utah. They are writing experts, and this duo is the first pair that are coming on to the podcast. I have always had single guests, but this is my first episode with having two guests on at the same time. But they are definitely a package deal. They truly have strategies to help students fall in love with writing, and not only that, but to help teachers and parents fall in love with writing as well. They have a host of examples and tips and ideas on their Instagram page, and I am so excited to have them on the podcast to share best practices for writing instruction, even when a teacher has a certain writing curriculum that they have to follow. No matter if you have the curriculum or if you don't, there are still ways that you can make sure that you are keeping writing as a priority and making this a conducive environment that is going to help grow and cultivate your writers. To do this, they are specifically sharing five questions to ask that will help you keep any curriculum or writing task grounded in best practices for writing. I cannot wait to share this conversation that I got to have with Emily and with Carrie. And if you are ready to dive into this episode, we will meet you inside. Welcome to The Literacy Dive, a podcast for teachers who want to take a deeper dive into all things reading and writing. I'm your host, Megan Polk. My number one passion is, you guessed it, all things literacy and supporting teachers like you. Join me each week to learn teacher tips and actionable step-by-step strategies to help you grow as an educator. Are you ready? Let's dive in. Welcome back to the Literacy Dive podcast. You have chosen such a great day to tune in because I have not one, but two special guests on the show, and they are writing experts. And I cannot wait to dive into best practices for writing instruction that you as a teacher can be able to use no matter what writing program is being used at your school. So Carrie and Emily, I have been such a big fan of yours. I love the strategies that you share. I love the work that you both do just to make writing fun and achievable, not only for the students, but also to make parents and teachers feel confident and at ease as well. So with all that being said, if you could just please say hello to our audience, especially so that there's two of you now, so they'll be able to hear your name and hopefully be able to match your voice. And then you can just share a little bit about what you're currently up to these days, and then we'll get started with our episode. Okay. Well, I'm Carrie Finlinson, and I work with Emily. She's my dear friend and my business partner. We have been working together, helping children to become strong writers since 2007. And that's when we started our writing camp for children that we originally started because we just needed a place for our own daughters. We were looking for a writing camp and we couldn't find anything that matched what we needed it to be. And we just, we had a real commonality, like the way we spoke to each other about writing. We had very similar backgrounds and 
we just went for it and we created a writing camp that has been such a joy. And our children were basically raised going to that camp every summer. And in 2020, over COVID, we started the Writer's Box. So it's been a marvelous journey. We're both teachers. I teach seventh and eighth grade. And we also do write on workshops in the Writer's Box. So we're very busy and very happy doing this work. Love that. And I'm Emily Bauman, and I teach first grade now and have loved this writing business with Carrie for the last over 16 years. Like Carrie said, it's just been an incredible journey, just bringing the love of writing into the lives of children and families. I love this so much. And just thinking about the wide range of experience that you both bring within elementary and then even streaming up to middle, which I know that you all have a collective amount of experience. And so this is just so awesome, incredible that an idea of a camp could really turn into such an amazing product that now just I know changed the game through COVID when everything just kind of went 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 down. And unfortunately, it's like when reading and writing and math, when everything kind of is already kind of at a deficit, we know that even in a regular classroom, if one thing has to go, typically it's writing because that is an area that teachers just don't feel confident with or students really might not enjoy all the way. And so I really love that you all are going to be here just to chat about best practices that any teacher could do. So with that being said, let's just dive right into it with best practices for writing instruction and just where teachers can begin to ensure that they are aligned and balanced with this. And so how could we be able to change our mindsets and be able to walk into our classrooms tomorrow with a whole different awareness when it comes to writing instruction? Okay, so we believe that it doesn't matter the writing curriculum, you know, the awesome writing project that you download or that, you know, another teacher gives you, like, it doesn't matter what the curriculum is or what the project is, you can make it awesome. If you keep standing on the foundation of best practices for teaching writing and really like the core of that foundation is that children are writers with something to say. And not only that, but they actually want to write. So many times we see teachers or parents sometimes apologizing for it. Like, I'm so sorry I'm making you write. And that is exactly not, that's completely wrong (laughs) because they actually want to write and they have something to say and they truthfully don't need to be micromanaged as much as they need permission and opportunities to actually write. And when we try to micromanage it, we take power away from them. When like, for example, we tell them every little thing they're supposed to write, or we remove their creativity, enthusiasm, every time we try to take over or take the wheel. And we can really prevent that by just remembering that children are writers, and they have something to say. And when we treat them that way, when we treat them in that really respectful way, it really does change the game. So Emily and I put together, and it was really fun to do this, Megan, we put together five questions that teachers and moms, we have a lot of homeschool moms that we work with too, can ask that can help keep any curriculum or writing task grounded in that idea that children are writers with something to say. So these are our best practice questions for teaching writing. 
So Emily, do you want to do number one? Sure. Number one is to ask yourself, is there a genuine audience? And this is what most curriculums miss. Authors write to be read. Where is this writing going? Write for a purpose that goes beyond a score or grade. That is what is really crucial for young writers. And in our classrooms, we have built-in audiences by reading our work out loud with peers. And when kids know that they will have a chance to share their writing in a few minutes or in a few days, they will give you so much more effort. And other ways to share, of course, could be through a class magazine or a bulletin board, have a contest. But when you know who you're talking to, it's just easier to talk to them. And it's this audience that gives them the motivation to actually put their grammar skills to the test. We edit for our readers. We want our readers to be able to read our writing with the least amount of distractions. We want to be taken seriously, and we don't want to feel embarrassed by having a lot of errors. So we work at it. So I would just add to that, Emily, you brought up the grammar portion. I think micromanaging that you know we talked about is trying to like edit the heck out of every single thing they write. And really what they need is to be writing a lot. And when we are writing for an audience, it takes away the the rub. Like they actually want to edit it because they want readers to be able to understand what they're trying to say. So we need to help kids to be like, instead of, you know, we're forcing the edit, they want the edit when it's going out into the world. Like that's the moment that, you know, we help them to take the leap is when it's going out to a real audience. And I don't know, I would say if there was like one question out of like all of the five that we're going to bring up, I would say this one is number one, right? It has to have an audience. And so many times they write in a box or they write for like small, you know, write, write for a score. And if we can, if we can find the audience, if we can help it to actually go somewhere, it just makes a huge difference. I think one thing that teachers can do immediately in terms of creating a genuine audience is just when you want your student to add more information, ask the class. Those are the child's readers. Who here would really love to know more about how you learn how to knit well and what so-and-so's grandmother taught them last night about knitting? And all the hands go up. And that just creates this enthusiasm and this excitement behind this child's piece of writing. And when they see their audience, they see their readers responding with such gusto, they are now inspired to not just start writing more, but to run to their seat and to add all of the stuff that their friends want to know. I love that so much. And that is one big key point of just speaking to an audience, writing for an audience. And I think it's through that method that students realize on their own, wow, there are so many different types of audiences. Like how I talk to a principal if I want something to come to our school is so different than how I have to try to convince my mom for a pet, which is so different than how I have to talk to my friend to come over for a sleepover. And so I think that they naturally can hear from others and also internalize like, wow, there are so many different audiences and I get to speak to them differently. 
but they really do want to kind of, they want to perfect naturally what they're saying, especially when they know that someone is on the receiving end. Because I just think about how hard it is for some students to get those ideas out. And if they don't have any way that they can share it, like you said, whether it's through a book or whether it's through sharing in front of a class or actually writing that and mailing it somewhere, then I think about how many students just like we lose because it's like, this is hard and I'm not actually able to share it with an audience. So I'm done. And that's exactly what we don't want. So I love this audience piece for number one. You know, I'll just like add really quick. I've noticed it makes it easier for kids to write when they know who they're writing to. Mm -hmm. Like the words come quicker for them. Like they know it really does. It really does change the game. Okay. The next question, ask yourself with whatever project or assignment, does this assignment offer student choice? Choices seriously make the hugest difference with buy-in. And that is part of like what we said before about respecting them as writers. Even if it's a mandated writing assignment, kids are so much more invested when you can give them some sort of a say in it. You can offer, even in mandated, even a you know, you have to do this, but you can offer paper choices. You can offer pen choices, pencil choices. You can offer a location for where they want to write as much as, you know, flexible seating works in your classroom. You can offer how many minutes they want to work on it at a time before they have a break. Anytime that they have a little bit of choice, you get their buy-in so much more. And I would, I would even say, you know, with topic choices, I know both Emily and I are really conscious of this. Like we rarely will say one topic. Like we often, I mean, I would say without exception, give them a couple or three or more choices. Sometimes having all the choices in the world is way too hard. But when you say you have three choices, suddenly they can be directioned and they have an opinion. I don't know. I would say with every writing project, build in lots of choice and ask yourself with this project, where could I add choice to this? And I think that's so key because I know that one of the things with districts are like what we're talking about today is that, you know, I have this very, very, very strict writing program. But even within those lesson plans, they are not saying that you only have to use a pencil to complete this. You only have to sit at the seat to complete this. And so I think that if teachers can be innovative and start thinking about this question number two, does this assignment offer student choice? And if it doesn't, how can I bring that in? It's going to make a whole different experience. And then there are going to be some topics where you're just going to become naturally able to say, okay, we're still on the same genre, but I honestly don't care if you don't write about this one particular topic. I would rather you write about something of interest that still falls in the bubble and give me what you got. And so that is so key about the student choices and knowing that it's as simple as how you're allowing them to do the presentation or to show their writing, what materials they can use, where they can sit to complete it. And so I love, love, love student choice. It's so key and so pivotal and it does make or break the school day. It really does. And it really can just bring about all kinds of feelings for kids. And I think that's what makes the teacher, the professional is they're using the curriculum as a tool and they're using their own expertise and what they know is best for that child and best for that situation. And being able to, you know, infuse these, you know, what they know to be best practices into a mandated curriculum, it just makes it so much richer and so much better. And I don't think the curriculum should be the boss. I think the teacher has to use it as a tool to help them 
you know, work the magic with writing. I so agree with that. And meet the needs of each particular child who's in front of them. Yes. Okay. So just to remind everybody, number one was, is there a genuine audience? Number two, student choice. Drum roll, please. Number three is, does this assignment include mentor texts? So what do we mean by that? It's important to remember we've never learned to write once and for all. Just because you're a good novelist doesn't mean you can write, for example, a legal document. It is vital that we show kids what we're going for. So we want to teach them to ask themselves, how does this kind of writing go? How does the author do it? Is that something I can try to? And we call that reading like a writer. So we read professional books or books written by the professionals, and we call them, these writers, our mentors. And we try to immerse children in the kind of writing that we want them to go for and to make observations about it, and to just try it out. So if you want them to write articles, we start reading magazine articles or mystery stories. If we're trying to bring out some skills sets from writing mysteries, maybe we need to read game directions if we're learning to write directions. Whatever the genre that you're writing in, read lots of it. And let the mentor text do the teaching for you. So some of the Best mentor texts are books written by the professionals. Other mentor texts are past students' work. Just save them up. Make photocopies of them and keep a file. That's the part you have to get really good and organized on. But you want to pull those out just as you need them. And then the children look at that writing and say, whoa, someone my age did that? Oh, I can do it too. For me, that's actually kind of a recent aha. Is I mean, they're curious about the mentor text. But when it's actually a kid their age, they really turn on and they think, oh my gosh, you know, he did that and he was my age. I think I can do it too. And it's something, you know, you kind of have to like accumulate it as you, as you go along a little bit, but anytime like kid writing, kid to kid writing is super valuable. And it really, when you're looking at any sort of curriculum, you want to try and get those mentor texts that can really speak to the kids. And, and a lot of times, like even within the class, if you have a sharp little writer, that child in the class can become the mentor. Like you can put it up and say, Oh my gosh, you know, look at what, look at what's happening here. And then they start to like become mentors for each other and spur each other on. And that could also work really well. I am such a fan of that. Such, such a fan of letting the students be the the mentors, be the experts because that's ultimately what we are cultivating. And just the tip that you all had of using student writing, this is something, teachers, that you can do right now. You can use this month and the rest of the months of the school year to start collecting and photocopying what student writing should look like. And then you can be able to be prepared for the beginning of the school year. And you can already have these samples and you can show what students in that grade level have actually produced. And it's it's true and it's real. Snap a photo of them, put it on the back, put it on the front, like make it a big deal. But I think there is so much power in students not only experiencing what actual authors have done the hard work of doing, but knowing that right to their left and right in front and behind them in their classroom, there are a class full of mentors. And so I love that you mentioned using student writing and using students as the mentors. Yes. Think of that student writing as gold and be so, 
I've done it. I'm guilty of like sending home the work. I mean, like, oh my gosh, I shouldn't have gotten a copy of that. But you want to like treasure it up and keep as much of it as you can because it will be really helpful. Yes. And I think too, it's like we're constantly looking for revising and editing, like, you know, like different types mm. of opportunities. And I'm like, you have it sitting there right in front of you with the students that you have. You can use their actual work, get their permission. But a lot of the students I've said, hey, can I borrow this? Because I really think that we can do this. They're like, oh, yeah. And so that's just another great way to use that authentic work and to grow it up. I love it. Love it. And when you read their writing, when you actually read it out loud as gold, your voice becomes a voice in their head as they're doing their writing. So it's something, because it's somebody that they know, it really sticks. It's just like when we give out poetry to the children in our class and they read it and they become famous for that poem, they learn the poem. When you read somebody's writing like it's gold in front of the class, when the children are going to do writing, they hear what they're supposed to be going for. They have something to attain. So good. I love that. I am briefly interrupting this episode to paint a picture for you. Imagine this, your students engaged, focused, smiling, laughing, eager to share, not even looking at the clock, and all of this because they are truly enjoying the craft of writing. This is a result when you begin disguising writing in a way where students have maximum buy-in, but don't even realize they're actually doing it. These daily writing disguise routines can be done in just 10 minutes or less each day and will increase stamina, build confidence, provide opportunities for writing skill practice, and will leave your students craving more. So who's ready to eliminate the moans, those groans, and maybe even tears? If that's you, go ahead and head to theliteracydive.com slash disguise to learn more about these daily writing disguise collections. Number four, Carrie. Okay. Does this assignment include teacher modeling? This is another game changer. Sit in your student's shoes and try whatever it is you're asking them to write. You want to write in front of them. You want to write with them. You want to show them how it's done. And I know, I know, I know teachers, moms get so nervous about this part, but you don't have to be nervous about it. You only have to write a little bit better than the grade you're teaching. So if you're teaching third grade, you just just a little bit, a little bit better than a third grader. And if you struggle with whatever it is, that is actually such powerful information for you. It means that your kids are likely going to really struggle on whatever it is you're asking them to do. And you have some choices there. When when that happens, you can show them the parts that you struggled with. And this is what I did. You can say, oh my gosh, this was so hard. And this is how I overcame it. Or you can rethink it. Like maybe this is not the best idea. And I think that is where... I think poor curriculum comes in sometimes is when we give our students something that we haven't tried ourselves. And I would just say, never, ever, ever give your student or children a writing task that you haven't tried. You will teach it so much better. You will teach from experience. You will be able to talk to them as a colleague instead of like a the queen or king in the classroom. You'll be able to talk to them like, oh yeah, this was a tricky one. Or this was, you know, that when I did this, this is what happened. And it really, it really changes the game for them. And for you as a teacher, it does. It changes 
It's a really big, important part. I remember the first day, many, many, many years ago, when I sat down in a desk next to my students and I wrote with them and I haven't looked back. And something that Carrie and I like to say is I do, meaning that I'll write it in front of you. We do. So we write something together. You do. And if you feel like that might be helpful to you to get started with this, just consider I do, we do, you do. The teacher modeling piece, I mean, that is so critical and key. And then on top of that, after modeling it, I think just that action of sitting down and doing it with them. Like I, even some of my students who would always give me pushback, 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 the second that I grabbed a clipboard and sat on the floor or sat at a seat right next to them, like they literally would come over too and they would be writing. And so I think like, you know, the modeling piece, again, you can't expect them to do something that that you've not explicitly taught. And I do think that a lot of writing curriculums do not teach teachers how to teach writing. It's just like this magical, this is what we want kids to do. And so, you know, you are setting the kids up for, for failure by not actually showing them. But I rem- I'm reminded of one of the districts that I taught in before. They would give us a pacing guide, especially for writing. And it was something like they gave us 10 days, like 10 school days to do poetry. And while some people would be like, oh, that's two weeks to like publish a piece of poetry. Well, in my brain, I'm like to teach the genre, to teach the different types, to teach the structures, to show that we don't have to do correct sentences and figurative language, and then to write a piece. Like, are you kidding me? And so I think sometimes, you know, you also just have to understand that within reason, I do think that there is something to say that you have to give it the time that it actually truly needs. And in some instances, it's like, I can't possibly do that well in just 10 days. And so if you want me to do it, I'm going to take the time that I need to teach that. And so whether that is we've moved on, but I can still spiral in a piece of that, it just has to happen. But that teacher modeling piece, I think actually does cut down in the later on in the school year, because once you've taught them no matter what it is you're trying to teach them, when you've taught that to them well, then you're not going to have to waste the time on going through that in depth. It's just going to be a quick reminder and they know what to do. And so you actually gain back that time to do more creative styles of writing and to get into the thick of it whenever you can take that time to model up front. So that is number four. I love that tip. Awesome. Number five is Well, is this assignment being worked on consecutively at regular times? I would say writing just has to be built into your daily experience. I mean, for some teachers, we hear like time is really an issue. And if you need some suggestions on how to get creative with how to make time for writing, just be in touch with Carrie and I, and we will be happy to offer you all kinds of ideas based on your specific experience. Because like everybody's different. They have different reasons why finding the time is hard. But we have found that if you don't write daily with children, when you do go ahead and start writing with them, they tend to groan and complain. And when you are really writing regularly with children and you skip a day, they groan because it's very likely that they were pre-writing in their head the night before or that morning. And they had this plan in place and they have this momentum going and you have just interfered with this idea, with this momentum, with this creativity, with this thinking. 
and it's it's like sacred space for them. And so there's really a, a huge value, which is why when we think about five best practices, this made the list. There's a really huge value in writing every day with children at the same time. And I would just add to that that it actually saves you time to write daily because the children, when they get back to the page, it comes more quickly for them. The now and then, it's always like having to restart the engines and it's very challenging. And I've seen, I've seen many times where, okay, what was that piece? What were we working on? And they pull it out and it's, it's like having to start over every time. And it's really more fair to the children to give them opportunity to write daily, give the project a consecutive rhythm so that they can know what to expect and actually keep following through and thinking about it. That is major. So major. And I loved Emily, when you had made the the statement about like, when you don't write daily, like you're interfering with that momentum that they were building up. And I do agree too with Carrie that like, this is going to save you time. I cannot recall and and not because I didn't want to do daily writing, but it might've been something like a field trip or an early release day. And even something where it's like you physically aren't at school to do it, it kind of was a little bit of a setback. And so with thinking about the consecutive and like having that, that space for it. And I think that with a lot of teachers or even parents, if this isn't your wheelhouse where it's like, oh, writing, like I just can't get with it. This is actually going to help you as well to have that consecutive time built in and to make sure that you're doing it every day. And it's going to become even easier for you to implement and to be confident with. And so I think reserving the time, just like we would do for anything else that we enjoy doing, needs to be given to writing as well. And you're going to see the benefits. And this can be done no matter what curriculum you're using. Embedding the time, committing to the time, that's like a non-negotiable and you're going to just be doing so many benefits for for children everywhere. Yes, for sure. Something that I've noticed in the work I've done with teachers too is when that time is a struggle, you will be better off to commit to like every day for three weeks. And then maybe you have to go to something else. And then every day for two or three weeks. Like if you do it in a in a block do it like consecutively in a block, it will work better for you. So much better than sporadically now and then or once a week. That seems to be a strategy that I've seen has been helpful. That is a really great strategy. And I also think that it feels like manageable, you know, to like, even for the teacher that's like, oh, I can't, but it's like, you can do it for, for three weeks. And then to know that you get like a week where you can just have a creative time and then you build it back up and it's like, all right, kids, we're back on it. And I think that's, that is like a routine and consistency for kids too whoever is listening right now, I really do want you to take them up on, you know, if you have scheduling or time issues, like not letting that be a reason that you're not allowing writing to take place. And so definitely reaching out and we'll have every way that you can contact them is in the show notes. So all you have to do is scroll to the bottom. If you're listening on your podcast app, if you're on the website, it's right there in front of you, click through and definitely reach out to both of them just for any of your writing needs, because they are the experts. I just have a thought that's just come up as I've been thinking about your listeners and the things that you've been saying. I think that if if this is something, if writing is kind of the thorn, you know, it's a little like, I know I should be doing it, but it's really hard. I would I would just say that it's so typical in our teacher training and our pre-service training to get 
a lot of really, really solid help when it comes to reading and just get like a touch on writing. And I would say teachers that are listening to you and they are working to like close the gap. I know that when I started teaching, it really was something I had to go after it on my own. I had to go after the education for becoming a strong writing teacher on my own. And I think likely the teachers that are following you, Megan, and are like a part of your community are teachers who have that go-getter spirit and want to make writing like something special and make writing like part of their curriculum. And I, I would say if, it's, if you're not there yet, if it's not something you love, you have something really beautiful to look forward to because it can become the favorite part of your day. It really can. And I really, these questions, like if you can stand on these questions and like use them to help guide whatever curriculum that you're required to teach or that, you know, you're finding to teach. Emily and I, like from years of experience, like we really believe it can shape and can really help to make it something that works for you. And and we want that. We want that for every teacher and every child. We want them to have a beautiful experience with writing. That is, I'm like over here tearing up because that you're so right. And it's like, I have been able to see the transformation from some people who came on pretty early in my journey of starting to connect on social media. And to see them now, it is such a cool transition. And the beauty is that it can happen to anybody. And so it is really exciting, but you do just have to like make it a commitment to take your first step. And your first step can be small. Maybe it's, let me look at one or two of these questions, and then I'm going to work my way up to all five. So I think it's just really noticing where you are and making the commitment that I want to improve, not only for myself, but for the students and the children that I that I serve and that I, I care for. And then you can make it a personal goal to just continue adding until you're looking at these five questions. And it's like, I want to make sure that I'm embedding this no matter what I'm doing, no matter what genre, no matter what curriculum, if I can go back to these five questions and make sure that this is almost like my my pillars are almost like, you know, like my value and my mission, then you're doing such a good service to students and you're creating just a foundation that I can tell you they have not had before you. And so I think that's just so powerful too. Yes. If there's anything like any final words before we wrap up, this has just been such a joy, but if there's anything that you all did like have this just like last minute or that you want to share before we do officially wrap up, I would love to hear hear that as well. Well, I was just thinking that as I look at this list of five questions to ask yourself, what I think it speaks to is what we are hearing a lot from teachers and homeschool parents, which is that they really want to have freedom to meet the needs of the kids in front of them. They don't want to be like weighted down with a specific curriculum and it might change and they may not even be using a curriculum. Some of the homeschool parents that we work with are asking us to be really flexible with them and to really be able to manage various ages at the same table, various skill levels at the same table. And I think that when we look at writing and we ask ourselves these five questions, it does offer the freedom and the flexibility to many educators out there who are seeking quality writing experiences for their kiddos, but they just don't know exactly what questions to ask themselves to make sure that they are moving these kiddos forward, developing these writers with strong writing identities. Ah. 
This is so great. I am so grateful to the both of you for just sharing your knowledge and creating these questions that, I mean, these are just honestly, I'm like, right, print these off and stick them on your whiteboard, you know, just making sure that you're referencing in them. So I'm just so grateful for both of you for coming on and just sharing how teachers can indeed prioritize writing and best practices with writing, no matter what type of bubble that they have to be in. But I know that if the listeners are anything like I have been, I've been looking forward to this with you all for so long, but if they are anything like me and they're just like, oh my gosh, I need to learn more. Where can I connect with Carrie and Emily? Like, where can they be able to find you? So can you just tell us where listeners can be able to find you, what they can be able to do in order to get in contact with you? And then all of this will be in the show notes, but just for them listening, where they can be able to learn more from you. Our main social media platform is Instagram. So we're on Instagram every day, almost every day, right on workshops. And then our website is also right on workshops.com. And we have a writer's box, which is a subscription box for children that embraces different writing projects and sends, you know, a fun, happy way of experiencing writing at home that has been very successful with our homeschool parents. We're soon to have a project-based downloadable writing curriculum for teachers, families, and tutors. And we're really looking forward to getting that off the ground. And we're doing our 16th year of camp, of our writing camp, which is near and dear and special to us. We're looking forward to. So if you are in Utah, or if you want to take a road trip or a family vacation, (laughs) you need to go to one of these camps, (laughs) which I'm sure they can find out all that information within your websites and stuff like that. But definitely, if you are a parent, if you are a teacher, there are supports for you. And so through their writer's boxes, through their website, their Instagram is a, that is a place that you will find so much value with. There are students, there is student work there. You will hear them reciting and giving you scripts of like, you can listen to it and be like, oh, I can go do that tomorrow in my classroom. So definitely, if you are looking for just any tips or strategies, check out their Instagram, follow there. And then everything else will be linked in the show notes. But thank you so much, Carrie. Thank you, Emily, for coming on. This has been such a treat. And I just look forward to continuing our journey through Instagram. And then hopefully I can get you all back on for another episode in the future. Thank you. We love that. And Megan, we just have to, let's just say how amazing your resources are. And actually, I just want to throw that out that everything Megan has to offer like is so in line with everything Emily and I believe about writing. And we actually discovered her and have been using her resources in our own classrooms and at our camp. And it's such a wealth of, I mean, it blows me away. So we'll just, we'll just also say like everything Literacy Dive does, I believe is so in line with all the best practices for teaching writing. Thank you so much. Oh my gosh, that's making me like, I'm getting emotional. Thank you so much. That is so sweet of you to say. And again, I'm just like so grateful to have been in connection with you all. And I'm thrilled that you use my resources and I cannot wait for so many people to use yours, especially what you're creating for teachers and just homeschool parents and everything. So you all are incredible. Thank you, Megan. Thank you, Megan. And to everyone else, we will have another episode next Monday. Thanks so much for tuning in today. Come hang out with me over on Instagram at The Literacy Dive. I would love to hear from you in my DMs. If you are enjoying this podcast, be sure to hit that follow button and share this with a friend. 
I'll catch you in the next episode.